0: Yeah. It's like, um, we hadn't even like our, it felt like our hurricane season just ended, which it did. Um, and now it's already started again. It's like, it really felt like there was only a three, like we got my city alone, got three hurricanes last year. And like, insane. yeah, like back to back to back. Um, and so Lake Charles, Louisiana, which is right there on the coast, uh got decimated twice. So like mm. the first one hit and they were rebuilding. Uh they still didn't have they had either just gotten the power back or they were still without power they got hit again. Um so then, you know, they got everything rebuilt um, for the most part or in the process of rebuilding. And then two weeks ago, just some like regular old rain flooded them out again. So it's just like, you know, I mean, Louisiana is like below sea level. So I guess it's just a problem waiting to happen. But it, I feel bad for the people there.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, we don't hear anything about that.
0: I know. Here. That's, that's what's even, yeah, that's, what's weird is like what the media chooses to like, even with hurricane Katrina, it's like everyone knows about new Orleans, but like the cities in Mississippi were literally like wiped off the map, like, like Gulfport, uh, all these coastal small cities like gone, but it's like, they weren't, you know, they weren't big news.
1: That's incredible. I like I can't, I can't imagine even, I can't imagine something happening to the entire town all at once. Like up where we live, we don't have anything. There's no earthquakes. There's hardly ever a tornado. There's, there's no hurricanes. There's, it might, you know, we might get have
0: blizzards or ice storms.
1: Not often. No. Where
0: are you at again? You're in Michigan. I'm,
1: right? I'm in Michigan. Yeah. So yeah. like right
0: here. <laughs> so y'all don't get like, y'all don't have ice storms or anything like that?
1: Um, We did. We had an ice storm in 2010, I think. And that one was really bad. That was right at Christmas time and it shut everything down.
0: Yeah. And we had to go
1: stay with uh, Jess's grandparents for, for three or four days because oh, we had geez. no power.
0: Yeah, we we went through that this winter too. I mean the the that was in the news, the big Texas ice storm, but we we got a bit of that too. Um that's what the south is really unprepared for cuz it cause yeah. it's so rare, you know. We'll will get you know, usually you'll get like one or two hard freezes a year. Um maybe one uh snow every two years. But for like a week long, week or two week long winter event, just like doesn't happen. So like nobody knows what to do at all.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think we're pretty well prepared for just about anything here, but it's just been a long time since we've gotten a really big storm. Yeah. But that that ice storm that we did have was pretty sweet because it put like a quarter inch of ice on all, all the trees. Go. And so when I woke up that morning, I was like, what in the world is that sound? It sounded like a dinosaur. It's like Jurassic Park, like T-Rex walking through my subdivision. And I I went outside, and it's just branches just falling down, hitting the ground
0: all over the place. Oh, that's gnarly. Yeah, that was really cool. The coolest thing about snowstorms and ice storms is, because I thought you were going to say, like, is the silence. Like a good snow, how it just completely kills all the ambient noise and like there's no animals and there's no like real cars going so it's just like quiet
1: yeah we have to get to get that up here we have to get a good 10 inches of snow for everything to shut down 10
0: inches that's
1: yeah like uh if it's five or six you're driving on the freeway the next morning (sighs) if
0: we got five or six inches of snow they would you you would (laughs) I don't know. You would just do. You would not (laughs) leave. You we would probably have like a state order to stay in your bed or something. Like don't even. You guys are used to
1: driving in it or anything. So that's nuts, dude. Uh, We do have different tires to handle better in the snow, which you probably. I'm sure you are the same for rain and stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, (sighs) driving in the rain is rough, and we do get a lot of rain, but uh and you would think we're good at driving in the rain but that is not the case and during the summer we get a thunderstorm per day pretty much yeah um and everyone just completely forgets how to drive
1: yeah i miss that like my dad would take us down to fourth of july every year because he grew up in kentucky and so we go down spend a week or two in july man the thunderstorms that would come through there just absolutely insane i love them i have been in a tornado or near one i I saw saw one when i was a kid
0: yeah i I picked a truck
1: up and threw it over the overpass and
0: dude yeah i love uh it's funny too i just rewatched twister the other day oh yeah i love extreme weather i love hurricanes to be honest i mean i hate the aftermath but like um like i went when we had the it's been a while since we'd had like a direct hit hurricane so when we had one I went you know all the power out was everywhere and like during the peak of it I went out to the middle of the street and just like stood there and it was so it was like a very moment that reminded you how powerless we really are against stuff and it was very much like oh this is like This is like some God stuff here. Like, it it really puts things in perspective that, like, you know, all our securities and our comforts and our homes and our fences, it's like, it's nothing, dude. It's absolutely nothing. It can all go away
1: instantly. All it
0: takes is a little bit of wind. It's just,
1: yeah, it's crazy. I think three days without power, I think the whole country would just collapse.
0: That's what they say.
1: In about three days.
0: That's what they say. The they say that like the most um like analysts and stuff like the most effective type of uh terrorist or attack would be three consecutive disasters on both coasts in the gulf so they they ran a model of like destroying hoover dam um something on the east coast and then like you know knocking out the power grid in the gulf that the country would just shut down and like yeah. not be able to repair itself
1: yeah just all you're doing is displacing people and you only have to displace so many before it's complete chaos oh yeah yeah Uh so like this... like over in california right now they've got a serious they got a serious drought over in california they always
0: and... do don't they
1: but imagine if it were to get like like super serious and then you got all those people moving
0: east. Oh yeah. And how
1: long before they move east before, you know, you run out of resources in that region and then they move further. Like Yeah. It's not it's not hard true. to see that. I love disaster movies by the way. Oh,
0: I do too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm, I'm fascinated it. by all that stuff and um and i'm really i always like do you are you prepared are you stocked at all do you have bug out bags no do you at least do you know how to like purify water or grow food or any of that
1: nope i'd be screwed i always say in an apocalypse i would just i'd be the first sacrifice and yeah i'm an artist or whatever you need i'll (laughs) i'll (laughs)
0: I'll, I'll entertain you with a podcast yeah with like i'll I'll play my guitar and you guys uh, and pick berries yeah exactly somebody else can go i'll be the motive the motivator <laughs>
2: yeah
0: <laughs> um so this is jason duncan from uh you've you've been on the show a couple times from uh not your pastor's podcast um which are is that kind of not going anymore or is it still going
1: no i hit the brakes on that and fall of 2000 19 my wife and i we decided to to leave the church uh i don't know when we'll be back but we definitely won't be back to the particular church we were going to cuz it was pretty shady s- stuff and i think I, I was really super bitter from all of that and so i just decided it's right now it's not the time for me to to podcast with oh. uh
0: what uh in a in kind was- of this is not at all like why I brought you on, but can you briefly summarize or is that like way too long of a story?
1: Um, it's a, it's a pretty long story. The, the, the church we had gone to, I, I, I disagree with a lot of the stuff they were, they were doing, you know, when we started going there, it was this tiny little church with about 300 people. And then it, uh, became this mega church yeah i'm not a am not a fan of the mega church model at all and just the way they cycle and staff handle their finances and yeah that, uh no it was i mean that's just scraping the surface no there's, there's I, so much yes, to it i
0: got you though that that's what i'm that's what i am afraid is happening to my church it's uh like right now i guess we are right about i I guess total membership probably like two to three hundred um the direction i see uh, you know it used to be i'm i'm beginning to think more that like the optimal size is like 30 people you know what i mean like so you can really get close you can really be involved um now it's just kind of like growing for the sake of growing but like there's not i don't know man like it was like i i play on the worship team and i had to take uh like a mental health hiatus and like during that time i i also stopped going to church and like nobody reached out to me nobody yeah. you know it
2: was,
0: I you know i don't know I i definitely felt some kind of way about that and kind of like oh okay well like what Um, yeah, so I, and then at the same time though, I'm, I'm like way not trying to go church shopping right now. And that seems like ridiculous. And that's why it really is. It's like, you know, I wish, you know, like I could go to a church with like you and like all these people I know from the podcast and the internet. And that's where I found That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like that's where I've found my like-minded people, but nobody, well, I say nobody, I haven't, you know, completely looked, but it doesn't seem like there's anything like that locally. And so it's just super frustrating.
1: They're extremely hard to find. And, and anything that I would really find that I think I would like would probably be in the city anyway which it's not that far from me. I'm, I live right outside of Flint, Michigan. So
2: You'll if I really yet. wanted
1: to, yeah, their their water's back to normal okay. now. For, for the most part. Depends on, you know, some of the, the poor areas. They never had water to begin with and they will never have water. <laughs> they just won't.
0: So you um, had, you had. Re- just oh, wait, go, Poor go. handling. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So you had reached out to me. Just that whole
1: water situation. Yeah, for sure.
0: You had you had reached out to me uh, and sent me a uh, blog that you had written um, about your father and his recent passing, and I I remember you telling me about your your dad's addiction problems, but for some reason it. I had no idea that the 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 severity of it. Um and neither did we. Yeah, and 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 him <laughs> being a, a pastor and you're the I'm gonna I'm absolutely gonna post the blog and I hope y'all will read it because it is really I was, I was sitting in, you know, I was supposed to be paying attention. I was at work and I was sitting in staffing and I was totally not paying attention. I was just reading that because it was, it was just, it was a very, very difficult read, but it was a very important read. um, Because I think things like this happen more often than not. And it's kind of touching on like, what, what do you do? when the healer is the one that needs healing like what do you do when the person that's helping others needs help themselves and just the whole idea of of keeping secrets and stuff so um i don't know how exactly uh i guess tell me about this or tell us about uh your father and kind of what happened
1: well, okay. Uh, yeah. The, the article that I wrote, it is extremely raw emotionally. Uh, I wrote it um, with the guidance of a therapist who just told me to just, just write everything down because uh, man, she gave me an official like diagnosis of some sort of trauma. I don't know. it's um, I wrote it down and I can't remember exactly what I'm dealing with mentally uh, losing a dad like that, who is a drug addict because it really is like mourning the death of two different people. Yeah, There's the dad who was the perfect dad that I absolutely loved. Uh, uh, you know, my, I mentioned the article, my parents were divorced. My dad never missed anything, never missed a child support payment, never missed a phone call, never missed a game got me my first job. It's the still the career that I'm in today, like 17 years later, it's it's yeah. pretty insane. Um, and he was always there in so many ways just a perfect dad. And then he was also this crazy drug addict who would and when I say drug addict is it, it was opioids uh, and alcohol. But he would um, he got to a point where he started mixing uh, alcohol and Suboxone, which was a drug to get off of opioids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've ever Googled that combination. of oh, yeah. Suboxone. No, it's it's I, extremely deadly.
0: Yeah, I used to. Um, I used when I was on Suboxone, I drank on it all the time.
1: Yeah, my dad was. I and of course, you know, I don't didn't live with them, so it's really hard to track how much he's using. But he was using enough to light his bed on fire every night. <laughs> the
0: the and I, I can give you some insight on this. So like the the yeah. the trouble with drinking on Suboxin is it's got uh naltrexone in it, right? Which Suboxin is buprenorphine and naltrexone. So buprenorphine is a extremely extremely potent uh partial opioid agonist, which means it uh it attaches to the opiate receptor sites um, way more than any other opiate. So it's it's way more competitive than like morphine, but it's only a partial agonist. So it's going to fill those receptor sites, but it's only going to get you so quote unquote high or whatever. So yeah, people think that the naltrexone is the thing that blocks you from getting high, but it's really the, the bup. So if you take an opioid while you're on Suboxone, the it's not going to kick the bup off of those receptors, so now Trexone okay. is, is also in uh Vivitrol and it's been shown to um so it's it's inactive when it's taken orally, but they put it in Suboxone to discourage people from shooting it up. So if you so when you're taking it orally, it's not um, I'm sorry, it's naloxone. Now Trexone is the oral version, but naloxone doesn't work if you take it oral or if you take it orally um, so that's to prevent people from shooting it up but it does block some of the pleasurable effects from alcohol so what happens is like when I would drink on it I, w- I would be drinking all night sort of kind of feel like a buzz and then the next thing I know I would just black out because I had yeah. been drinking but I couldn't tell I had been drinking until it all just caught up with me. And I, like, I blacked out that way so many times. So, so many times.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I assume my dad blacked out. I mean, nobody was there again, but I mean, when he was lighting his bed on fire,
2: he was he smoking. Was a smoker, and, yeah.
1: Yeah. He was a smoker. And he would, he said, he, well, he told me one time in the hospital that he would just, sit there and smoke and just watch the ashes fall over everything but he couldn't like move he said he was just like in yeah. this like state <laughs> and just... he just like stuff would catch on fire around him and i i mean some of it, a lot of it was just like if you took a cigarette burn yeah and poke him i mean his shirts were just covered and and i mean it looked like he was stabbing himself with a lit cigarette i still but...
0: have some pairs of shorts that have burn holes in them I just I just had too, which is so small world stuff. I just had a former client die that way. He was an alcoholic though, but he a week after he got out, uh he passed out drinking with a cigarette and caught his apartment on fire. That's it's, yeah. It's like what?
1: Uh, yeah, that was that was the point. When we realized he was doing that back in 2017, I I I honestly I tried to have him committed. <laughs> Because he's in an apartment building full of kids, it's like uh, we found twelve blankets in his closet when we were cleaning. Uh, again, this is back in 2017, and just massive burn holes right through them. It's, it's like, what in the world is happening? Yeah, <laughs> at this place.
0: And it, you know what's? So I've been committed uh, twice, but that was like in um in Florida. But what I have found. In other states, in my experience, trying to get people committed, it is not as easy as you think it is. Like in Louisiana, it's damn near impossible. The
1: psychiatrist that I had talked to at the hospital, she met with my dad privately, and then she came back out, and I was like, well, what do you think? And she's like, I'm I'm really sorry. (sighs) She's like, there's nothing I can do. Your dad's way too high-functioning. He's way too smart uh he he will never get admitted anywhere. Jeez. Um and and that's the other thing about my dad. He's extremely he wasn't like he wasn't street smart in any way, shape or form. Sure. But holy cow, man, he was extremely book smart. That's all he did, especially because he was a former pastor. He was a pastor from seventy nine to eighty nine or so until my parents got divorced and then the church all but kicked him out, you know. Um that's, back then divorce was like the worst thing that could happen to somebody yeah in the in the 80s in the baptist southern baptist church you just that, that was a no-go th-
0: that's what i wanted uh, to, to kind of hear from too is like so i mean tell me about his early life as a pastor and i'm, I'm assuming back then or maybe not or like when did his alcoholism kind of uh become an issue like was it while he was preaching, was it um was this after the divorce thing uh, or was that kind of a catalyst for the divorce? Um,
1: I, I guess it could have been um, i I asked my mom very candidly about their divorce a, a while back, uh, especially I guess I should say myself. I pursued to be a pastor for eight years, so I've done a a fair amount of study and and at one point I was pretty close to being a pastor. Thank God that didn't pan out. <laughs> uh, uh, but I had asked my, I had asked both my parents, why, why did you guys get divorced? Cause they never really talked about it. They got along pretty good for a divorced couple. Uh, and my mom's just said, your dad just, he wouldn't, it was constant little lies, just little lies about everything. And, and that's why he was lying he what i mean i experienced i worked with my dad for 10 years because uh, we worked in the same profession and that's i experienced the same thing just constant little lies like uh i'm gonna go down to the other building and visit the plant manager uh, right back whatever and then we just watch him drive right on out of the complex and then he come back smelling like a cigarette with a slurpee it's like <laughs> if you just wanted a smoke break, just say you went to get a smoke break. I wasn't smoking. It's just like constant little lies like that. Um, and I, I think that I think there was a, so I'm trying to like go back and, and like school analyze my dad and his life. Yeah. And I, I don't have the answers and I probably, probably never will have the answers. He did have an extremely rough childhood um, where his dad had pretty much abandoned him. His mom just got remarried over and over again. Each one was, was an asshole. Mm. Um, and then he found out in high school that his dad was just living on the other side of town. He had ran away with the babysitter. Oh, um, geez. Had another son, had another son and named him the same name as my dad. Oh, so just completely started over and replaced him. Uh, at some point, by the grace of God, they were able to recognize that, uh, not recognize, recon, reconcile? Uh, reconcile that relationship. So when I was growing up, there was no animosity there. It was just kind of funny that I had my dad's name was Dave and I had an Uncle Dave and it was just oh, Big geez. Davey and Little Davey. Literally, same name. Like at at that point, it was a replacement, but. Yeah, my dad said he started drinking. He grew up in Kentucky. He started drinking when he was like eight, nine years old. You know, he was born in '57, so he's a little bit older. Um,
0: you you had you had written about too, about which I also like. I, I think when I was reading it a lot, I was uh, sympathizing with with your dad, and I was like, God, yes, I know all those feelings. Um, but you had written about how his relationship with God and how and correct me if I'm wrong but how he felt not abandoned but that or like that he was being punished or
1: oh yeah yeah sure
0: yeah so what's
1: really weird about my dad's situation is of because he he lied about little stuff all the time was his his diabetes were terrible and it wasn't until three or four hospital visits later of severe accidents that we realized that the diabetes aren't really the issue. Because whenever he's in the hospital getting a steady diet on the correct, you know, medication for his di- diabetes, it pretty much disappears. Yeah. Uh, and but what was happening behind that was the the massive opioid addiction along with the alcohol. Um, and then there was one point where he had gotten in a car accident, um, rear-ended somebody. I think he was texting or he, I, he, he was either texting or he dropped his phone in his feet and he bent down to pick up, but he rear-ended a uh, somebody going about 45, 50. Um, the airbags went off and he, I don't think he was wearing a seatbelt and it broke his sternum, Ooh. so you're like your your sternums. I know I'm showing you your sternums. Kind of like this in the middle between your ribs. Mm-hmm. Well, his let, broke. Let the but record it,
0: state that Jason is holding both of his hands uh, in front of him, uh, overlapping.
1: Yeah, and that's what happened to his sternum. It overlapped like that. Jeez. And at this point, my dad was trying to cut opioids out cold turkey, and so he didn't want any pain medication. When did, uh,
0: Sorry, I missed that. What? How did he get started on opiates?
1: Uh, Was migraines.
0: It, oh, okay. In, so in, it, his,
1: in his twenty, he had severe migraines, and that's when the opioid started. The alcohol started before that. You had asked earlier if if being a pastor amplified any of that. Uh, I I I really think it did. Some of the stuff that he had to deal with as a small town pastor, making a hundred dollars a week. That's all they would. The church would pay him. Which is nothing. He go get he went and got a secular job and they threw a fit. How can you have a job and be a pastor? He's like, I have a hundred dollars a week, I gotta make money.
0: So he um, was abused. And that so the, the Yes Dude, that that's how so many people He was run ragged. Yeah, and and so many people in that generation got so screwed by and i'm sure you've seen the like crime of the century and all these documentaries about the opioid crisis and how you know doctors really 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 screwed a bunch of these people that didn't really understand uh and then especially if someone truly has um alcoholism and addiction issues and yes you know it, it may start out as a legitimate thing like migraines and then you know the body is really wonderful at starting to produce the symptoms that will get you to take the medicine, right? It's, it's why Xanax and benzos aren't really great for anxiety because you're just going to get more anxious. Um, Yeah. So it's, it's one of those, like, it's a great, it's a fantastic excuse. And then you just realize that, uh, opiates feel fantastic. And then you're just on them. They don't really explain the, the whole, uh, addiction withdrawal um process
1: I'd, I'd have to imagine it was never explained to my dad
0: <laughs> no and the doctor may not have even really known it just wasn't really I don't think a, they knew back then yeah they, they weren't trying to you know kind of like cigarettes and cancer it's like they weren't really interested in funding studies on this sort of thing it was just like oh no, I have a migraine. Doctor gave me this pill. I'll take this pill. Hey, migraine's gone, and I feel great. Cool.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I wrote the article, because my dad, I really feel like he was just a normal person. Uh, but then behind the scenes, the stuff, the family secrets, if you will, were so incredibly disturbing. Um, and it, it was because of opioids. Like, it was because that addiction had gotten so bad. And then, you know, mixing the opioids with the alcohol didn't certainly didn't help at all. But yeah, he he had explained to me when I was studying to be a pastor of all the different hardships he had faced as a pastor of uh, there. At one point, there was a car accident and four kids from the youth group, four teenagers from the youth group died in this car accident And the police, you know, small town. So the police called my dad because um, one of the um, kids had our church's logo on the Bible that they found at the scene. And so they called my dad. He came out there. He said he could only recognize the kids by their shoes. He remembered the shoes that they were wearing the Sunday before. God. And dealing with that, people breaking into the church and stealing everything and just all the different situations. Uh, I, I bash pastors a lot. I really do. I also have the highest amount of respect uh, for some of these people because you have no idea what they're putting up with behind the scenes yeah you, know, you might think that oh what an easy job they just prepare a sermon and and once a week they get up there and speak for 30 minutes and that's it no there's so much more there's oh, yeah. the phone the especially at a small church the phone never stops ringing yeah and never stops ringing my uh, dad said he he grew to hate the phone ringing because it was just always bad news. news, Dude, I,
0: that was the other stuff. Like I, I am relating to, or sympathizing with that as a, as a counselor and as a sponsor and as someone who, and especially lately, dude, like all of us in in my group have straight up a trauma response. If you get a text message that says, Hey, do you know so-and-so that pretty much means like that they died. You know, yeah. recently, like we had four in uh, a month period, um and it, it was—it's just in the things you know. And then you know, when I was counseling teenagers and and now veterans, it's just like hearing these the most you know obscene, horrible traumas and you know war stories and things that they've been through and dealing with families and dealing with clients dying and, and, you know, dealing with people screwing up and I've, you know, taking people to detox, pulling them out of apartments and stuff. It's like that stuff starts to seriously, uh, chip away at your sanity. And, and, and then it's like, you know, I'll come home and it's like, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of listening and I'm tired of talking and I, yeah. Am really bad about just straight ignoring phone calls. Like, please just text me. Like, I don't want to talk anymore. Like, yeah. I don't. And and I and I don't. It's like I don't want to listen anymore, too. Which is really bad because I I need to do my own self care and stuff. But it's like I'm tired of fucking talking, man. It's like I don't yeah. even want to talk about my own problems. Like, I really I just want to turn off and watch something mindless. But that doesn't help either. But so, yes, I I I completely sympathize yeah. with your father. And and then where it's tricky is that yeah. there there is no greater solution to that than opiates and alcohol.
1: Yeah. So imagine all of that terrible news that you're taking in and then medicating and then hiding that, you know, using using opioids and alcohol to self-medicate, more or less to kind of numb your mind off of all that stuff. Um even if he realized he had a problem, and he probably did, where's he gonna go? Yeah. Are you gonna go to another pastor? Like yeah. especially especially back then in the late 80s, early 90s, there was literally nowhere to go. He'd been fired. So then you lose your livelihood. Yeah. So it's everything for a pastor is pushed underground. I think there are still churches where massive addiction goes on behind the scenes with pastors and it's the public never knows about it until you have a situation where a pastor dies by suicide or,
0: are they
1: just, but usually what happens is they get caught in a massive
0: sin. Well, that happened Um, uh, because it's, it happens. happens
2: There were those two young
0: pastors that killed themselves last year, huh? Like pretty, pretty close. They were like pretty, they were like Instagram uh, I can't remember their names, but they were pretty well yeah, known. Yeah, David
1: Wilson and Andrew Steckline. Yes. Um, yes, And I only remember that because our last well, last time you had us, yeah. we did a episode about past That's pastoral right. suicide.
2: That's uh,
1: right. Which is another reason why I'm, you know, sensitive to it because I understand those those pressures. But there's there's nobody to go to. You can't. Right. Uh So I, I, well, there was nowhere to go to back then. Now there there is. There is stuff for pastors now. Yeah,
0: I, but almost there's listener. there's and also
1: al- alcohol isn't as taboo for pastors, so it's not uncommon for a pastor to say, "Yeah, I have a glass of wine." Yeah, right. I, I have two shots of whiskey to help me fall asleep. Yeah, it's got to be nobody, craft
0: whiskey or craft yeah, beer though. Yeah, uh, obviously. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and and nobody nobody gives some shit about it. Uh-uh. Like, people are more understanding now, but back then, no way.
0: No. Uh, so you know. Okay so he he breaks his sternum uh and then yes. what happened?
1: Uh yeah in the hospital room there he he thought God hated him. He thought he was going to hell. He thought he was being he thought he was being punished for every last thing that he did. Uh, just That's where it was to him he was he was trying so hard at that point like his his addiction was not unlike any other addiction uh or addict where it just goes in waves where he he goes through a period where he cleans himself up and he's not you know using and then it just crashes again and then so i mean this happened to be a spell where he had he had gone a while without any opioids at all and and then this accident happens and um that, yeah that he knew he would have to face all that pain again either with a opioid or to go without the opioids to help you know manage the pain of having your sternum break and overlap like that
0: yeah that's what and i was he
1: just he just thought he was being punished by god like i'm he, like i'm doing the right thing now and it's like god doesn't want it to
2: work
0: like, i dude i had that i was Uh, one of my attempts at sobriety, I was six months sober doing well. And I'd taken up skateboarding as a hobby and I had a gnarly arm break, uh, surgery plates and all that. And that's how I got back on pain pills. And it was kind of the same thing. It was like, I think my parents even had the same thing. It's like, what the hell dude? Like, and that was as soon as they gave me the, the shot of Demerol at the hospital, it was over with. I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. there's that. Yeah that's such that's such I, a lonely feeling of of yeah fe- and i it's like of course in retrospect you can look back and it's like no you know maybe there was just something to be learned from it or whatever but god at the time it's it really is kind of a like what the f- what the hell
1: yeah yeah you know yeah
0: it, yeah for him that was
1: that was kind of a redefining moment of of how we thought about god uh because you know the southern baptist church although it's it's getting better in some ways is still pretty legalistic
2: Mm -hmm. uh
1: the church that i came from specifically in my 20s was extremely legalistic um and so it's not hard when anything bad happens you just think you just feel like you're being attacked by satan or that god doesn't love you
0: or i've done something (laughs) to deserve it
1: that's I did something to deserve this. Yeah. God is punishing me. Uh, That's, that's a really common line of thought. um, With those, with those particular backgrounds and for, for my dad, he just, he just thought it was over. And uh, I think we just, I I don't remember our exact prayer, but I prayed there in a hospital bed with them and um, I just, Prayed thanking God for pain because, well, if if we are feeling pain, then we're still alive, one. Mm-hmm. And if we're still alive, then there's there's still work to be done um, helping other people in any way that we can.
0: Yeah, it's uh, kind of a reliance thing, too. It's, it's yeah. kind of like the natural disaster thing I was talking about. It's like we can get really uh, high and mighty on our self-sufficiency and self-reliance, and then something happens and totally reminds us. But
1: so, what, what happened with my dad though, is because he had such deep personal problems <laughs> and he knew it. I mean, it was, he didn't share any of this. It wasn't public knowledge. He didn't even share it with us kids until, you know, till we found out about stuff because of accidents or, or what, but it made him connect with people so much easier uh, because he had just this high, he would approach everything with this extreme amount of forgiveness and grace uh, that you probably don't get from somebody who isn't struggling with stuff. Yeah. And because he like, he knew for himself, okay, in order for me to get to heaven, God has to forgive me. And if he can forgive me, he he can forgive anybody else. Yeah. You know? And so when I say, if he can forgive anybody else, like, you know, most people are are dealing with, I don't want to say petty things, but, uh, you know, less in retrospect to what he had been dealing with personally. For
0: sure, for sure, it's yeah. yeah like when I've when I um, hear some people, it, it's hard to not. It's like a weird, um, uh, I guess it's like a weird, not an ego thing, but it's like I have to struggle not to be like, you think you got problems? Like the shit I have heard, and like you, like yeah. You know, like, come on, bro. Like, you'll be okay.
1: Yeah. So, what? And it just changed a lot of our thinking of, like, you know what? Abortion is not an unforgivable sin. Nowhere yeah. does the Bible say it's an unforgivable sin. Yeah. The cheating on your spouse is not an unforgivable sin. Suicide. Is yeah. Is, you know, nope, not an unforgivable sin. Yeah. Like, Turns everything out there is... are none. Yeah. Go figure. A blasphemy of the Holy Spirit might be the only one. Yeah. And what that does that Bible... even mean? I don't know, but I would not use that against anybody. Yeah.
0: When I grew up, I thought it literally meant if you said uh, "God damn," I thought. Oh that yeah, was, if you took the if yeah. you took the Lord's name in vain. Yeah,
1: yeah, a lot of a lot of people think that, it's, which I, is so wrong. It's like I I've actually read a lot about what does blasphemy
0: the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but like that, that's like a whole Kenneth Copeland show. is a blasphemer, like not yes. the person that stubs their toe and says God. But anyway, so what? What? Uh, what were kind of the the final days and and I guess talk about the time you and your brother finally uh, tried to intervene on him
1: yeah um so like I said for everything would would kind of function as as a normal until something catastrophic happened and because of his diabetes because of the opioids, which if you read like side effects of long-term opioid use and and diabetes it's almost the same mm. like the like the weakening of bones you know yep. um, he had severe neuropathy and his and his feet so he couldn't even feel his feet i don't know how he walked i honestly don't know um and at one point there it, it's hard for me i get the dates mixed up because it's the stuff that happened was so so insane um but at one point he was in the hospital. Oh yeah. He had an ulcer on his foot. Hmm. So they they had to take a, a softball sized chunk of his foot out. Oof. The vascular team, they wanted to amputate, which in hindsight, we tried to talk him into amputation. He wouldn't do it. But what really had tipped us off to my dad's condition was, um, I went over to his apartment to feed his cat while he was in the hospital and it was so incredibly dirty. Um, and my brother and I uh, spent the next two days cleaning it. Um, I mean, just bugs, uh, you know, because his the cat had shit and pissed everywhere in his apartment. And I honestly, cause his vision was going, I honestly don't think he could even see it on the floor I think I'd mm. I'd like to think my dad would have cleaned up the cat shit had he saw it there. Right. Uh but also his sense of smell was was near gone. Uh so oh, everybody always yeah. laughs because we go out to eat and people who went out to eat with him he would load so much pepper on his food. It's cuz he couldn't, he taste, couldn't taste it. Couldn't taste it. Couldn't taste anything. Yeah, his his senses were were going. Um but his apartment was so trashed and it was just beer bottles liquor bottles everywhere i mean we took out so many beer and liquor bottles that it looked like just a massive frat party had gone through and then you get down on the floor cleaning stuff up as best as you can and there's just bugs everywhere and he lived in like a luxury apartment of like 1200 dollars a month 10 foot ceilings 900 square foot apartment i mean everything just decked out marble like countertops oh, wow. are, uh, just really super super nice apartment and it was just trash and it and it was at that point that um it was intervention time
2: <laughs> yeah and
1: that's also that's also when we found all the blankets the massive burns in his bed uh the burns through all of his clothes like something definitely wasn't wasn't right and then that's just the prescription pill bottles everywhere yeah and all from different doctors you know um but yeah i after cleaning that up they had they actually had to move him to his own hospital room because of bed bugs uh geez yeah he had to be completely isolated which that was a whole nasty thing that we had to deal with um Yeah, man, there's certain smells of the the smell of that apartment. I have a traumatic response to. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, like all this theology books, I had, to, I had to pitch them all. We had mm. a, pretty much all of his possessions because they all smelled so bad from that apartment. And it didn't help either that the, uh, the apartment had some mold damage to begin with early on. But again, because my dad is so secretive and doesn't want anybody in his stuff, he would not let them come and clean the mold damage underneath the floor. Oh. Um, and like my brother, he works for, um, he works for a large corporation that cleans up after disasters. And he's like, this place should be condemned. There's no way he can come back in here and heal up. So that's why we were trying to clean it. And I got back to the hospital room and I, I started to confront my dad and I was like, dad, we, I went over to feed your cat. He's like, yeah, I was like, and we found the, the liquor bottles. Yeah. He was pissed off that we were going through his stuff. And then was like, dad, I found all the blankets with all the burns in the closet. And at this point he's like rolling his eyes at me and he's like motioning with his hand, just like, bring it on, bring it on. And just like blowing me off. And I was like, you shut the fuck up. And my dad cowered. I had never sworn at my dad before. I do not even know if my dad had heard me swear at that point. Oh, and I just lit him up and yeah, that's things did start to get better after that. Um, of course not immediately. He was, uh, the moment I left the room, he ripped all of his IVs out of his arm and everything and just made a huge giant bloody mess for the nurse to clean up.
2: Yep.
0: Been there.
1: Um, yeah. I, Cause he was so mad, you know? Oh he was yeah. So, yeah. He was, oh, well, you know what? He wasn't it's not like he was mad at me for confronting him. He was so embarrassed. Oh yeah. He was so embarrassed that his two sons had to go clean his apartment.
0: It's the the day he had always feared had come to pass.
1: It had come. Yeah. And we had finally found out there was nothing to hide anymore. And, uh, he, he actually started doing pretty well after that. Um, but then again, going through those those waves of addiction, mm-hmm. I don't know what made him relapse the the final time. I have no idea. I I, I postured in the article that I think he had had the same cat for twenty years, and he lived alone. So this cat was his best friend, and the cat finally had to be put down because it was oh. it was old. I I'm pretty sure the cat had cancer. I mean, it it wasn't even moving anymore on its own my dad had spent the day at home because he was so worried about his cat dying and then finally i had to take it to the vet form and put it down and he couldn't even he he couldn't even come with me to do that because he was so distraught
0: yeah man and
1: i think after that i think he just tanked hardcore yeah uh, he, like you always hear like uh couples who've been married for a long time you know 50 years or so When usually when one dies the one the yeah. other one's not that far behind and that's what it was for my dad about six months after he had to put his cat down and i think that was i think that was a a source of depression for him yeah but
0: so what yeah what was the the day it happened what happened
1: Yeah. um, Well, I had gotten a phone call from him the night before and it was really weird because he just fumbled around on his phone and then hung up and I called him back. It's like 1130 at night. I'm like, dad, are you okay? And he's like, I could tell he was like high or drunk or something. I mean, uh, he sounded more high than anything. And he's like, no, I was just trying to look up something on my phone and I accidentally got into my address book and I just started calling everybody and I'm fine. I'm fine. Just being stupid. Uh, you know, I better let you go. Cause other people are going to be calling me back. Those are, that's the last words for my dad. Mm. Uh, because the next day my brother had tried to call him the next morning, couldn't get a hold of him. And I was like, that's he's dead. And mm. it's literally like I had nightmares about this. Like someday I'm going to find my dad dead in his apartment. And my brother had the same nightmares. My wife had the same nightmares um uh, and
2: uh yeah yeah
1: i mean
0: did you go over there
1: yeah yeah he was obviously he wasn't returning the phone calls and because i had worked with him for so long i had, I had moved on to another a new company seven years ago but i still know all my former coworkers and his employees because he is a manager there and i call as like is my dad at work today nope i was like fuck um
2: mm. uh,
1: I knew at that point he was done and my brother had been pounding on my dad's windows and doors for like an hour trying to call. And then I had the key to his apartment and I'm a half hour away at work. And we called the police officers there to come and do the wellness check. And they walked in and he was dead right there at his kitchen table. And he he dressed himself. He had gotten ready for work for the day, but he just couldn't, couldn't go anymore. And when the medical examiner came, she, we asked her what happened. She's like, "I'm thinking, cardiac arrest, maybe a heart attack." Um. But you could tell the look on her face, like, yeah, you know, you know, I'm bullshitting you just to,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: and then, of course, by the when we finally did get in there, um, you know, I saw the suboxone on the floor. Uh, you know, he had, yeah. Um, that I don't know. I have still don't know why he, he'd gotten to the point where he started mixing the two together again, mm. but it was just like, we, we had, we had gone through this three years ago and it's like starting all over again, except now this time he's, he's gone.
0: Yeah. And, and- sometimes there's no, other reason than because we like the way it feels like there's there's not always a catalyst or a reason
2: yeah that that could
1: that could be it too
0: it's it's just i don't like how i'm feeling and i'm I'm gonna do that and there's not much thought beyond that um you know so yeah i never want people to that you know beat themselves up over or stress out trying to to figure out the whys of the things when it's you know i've always said birds birds fly fish swim alcoholics drink i mean that's that's just you know uh sometimes the only reason i needed uh to use was the fact that i woke up in the morning and i was like oh yeah let me do that um
1: yeah, so that's actually that's actually really helpful honestly you lay it yeah. out like that
0: yeah i mean literally it because it, i i
1: have i have beat myself up like why like and no. then there was the like did i do enough
0: like no it's
1: and then there's the other parts like uh like i feel relieved
0: because i don't have to worry about it yeah. anymore well, and then and i feel like an asshole like, no man and and he doesn't it's have just like to... all these emotions you know yeah and he he doesn't have i mean dude my mom straight up her prayer for a long time was if if you're not gonna heal him then just take him yeah and it's there's a lot of relief in that and i i've had uh like my first well this is my first sponsor this last time um he got in a car wreck and died and he had he had 4 years sober and he had relapsed maybe a few weeks before the car wreck and i really kind of took it as God being like, I'm not we're not you know, I'm not gonna let you go through decades of pain anymore. Like just come on. Like that like yeah. that sort of thing. Um that's uh, and another one of my friends who had a, a long year of uh recovery and he relapsed and on the third day that he used he died. And I kind of took the same thing. It's like it's just a it's a mercy thing. It's um Yeah. But but no, I I can tell you, you know, the the longer the longer the years you live with addiction, you you really, or myself, I really did away with the whole. Um, oh, I'm depressed. I'm gonna use. Or oh, I just got fired. I'm gonna use. It's not. You know, we. I I did away with that delusion a long time ago. It's it's more so. Sometimes it can even be things are going so well that I I think I can handle it now. Yeah. Um, or the the urge to use literally comes out of thin air. You're you're sitting there on the couch watching TV. You just get the. It's kind of you know a similar thing can be you know if if people have ever struggled with porn, how like the urge will just kind of hit you, and it's like yeah. you are bugged by it until you go take care of it, and it's it doesn't didn't really come from anywhere. It wasn't really. Um, that's just kind of. The nature of addiction is that you're just gonna get these urges um so no it 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 and there's there wasn't anything you could have done there wasn't anything anybody could have said i mean it's it was you know that's what powerlessness truly is where it, it's yeah. out of human hands and himself included it's it's so don't yeah plea that's my main my main point to get to people who've lost people is that there was nothing you could have done differently, nothing you could have, that you did wrong. It, 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 it is, you're, you're, you're keeping score for the wrong game um, when you, when you try to do that.
1: Uh, that's, that's like such, that's one of the reasons I love you and love your show, but that's such solid, advice like you have no idea how much i feel like i'm in therapy right now <laughs> but but honestly that is that's so encouraging in a in a weird sort of way like yeah. helpful to to process that because it it was really rough and then you know like my wife has a whole different perspective of my dad where she didn't get along with him at all because she's she knew all this stuff and then my dad would constantly lie so to my wife you know my dad was just like that's the guy who always hurts my husband Mm -hmm. Um, and she never got she never got to see any of the good stuff when he was younger Uh, and healthier you know come in and to all my sporting events and all my concerts and and just just being there in a massive way yeah Uh, you know she didn't get to experience a lot of that But, yeah, there was also the other, the dark side, too, you know.
0: Well, in kind of a a final thought. So, like, is there anything that that you would like to say to anyone going through something similar?
1: Uh, Yeah, you're not alone. Um, It's funny because of writing this article. um, Even before I wrote it, I was just telling people, like, the true story of my dad, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I I started, I started telling my closest friends and they'd be like, dude, my mom is going through the same thing right now. Mm -hmm. Or my dad is going through the same thing. He's been taking the opioids forever, uh, like candy. Mm -hmm. Um, you're not alone. And I think it's a way more common than, than people think. Mm -hmm. And my dad's death is never going to go down as a official opioid overdose but that's what it was
2: mm-hmm.
1: it was you know a, a mixture of suboxone and, and alcohol and it it's an it's at the very least it's an opioid related death sure it'll never go down on paper that way but I wanted to write the article so that people know that they're not alone uh, to get help but I also wanted other family members <laughs> not not my family's specifically but people who have family going through this thing they've got a loved one you're not alone either and for so much of it i felt like we were alone because i felt like we couldn't tell anybody i couldn't tell the church because my dad's ministry was the only thing keeping him alive that's all he had to look forward to um so am i am i gonna tell his work like what are they gonna do these he's a he's a fantastic worker he's bringing uh you know, before he died, he brought in three million dollar profit to the company. Yeah. Like he's obvious like his personal stuff's his personal stuff, but he's you know, no no trouble on this end. Yeah. He was so high functioning. And so there was I felt like there was nobody to tell. And I know a lot of other people are trapped in that same situation. And I just wanted to put a face to opioid addiction. Because I hear about it all the time. There's, there's public service announcements, there's commercials, there's, there's ads, there's articles. But in, in my article, I wanted to put a face. No, this was a real person. And I titled the article, Just Another Overdose, um, How My Dad Went from Being a Pastor to an Opioid Statistic that just an over, another overdose comes from my, my favorite band growing up was everclear.
0: <laughs> nice.
1: And, and the song heroin girl. Yeah. He's talking about the brother, the death of his brother. And the yeah. he heard the policeman say, you know, just another overdose, big deal. And it's like on paper, that's my dad. Yeah. He's just another opioid overdose. You know, we're just going to keep letting the same thing happen over and over to other people. Um, And I don't expect this to, if anybody's struggling with opioid addiction at this moment, I don't think they're going to read this article and it's going to, you know, change their life or anything or or get them on the straight and narrow or or anything anything like that. My hope is a long play for, for future generations to understand that, yeah, this takes family members away. Yeah. And it's extremely serious, even though it doesn't look like it's serious on the surface. Yeah. Uh, you know, for my dad, it was mast and diabetes, but the the real issue was always the opioids. You mm-hmm. know, always came back to that. So, so yeah, I am extreme. My, my dad was a huge fan of your show, by the way. Oh, dude! <laughs> and, and the That's times awesome. when my dad was doing the best, I actually i i preached and taught at drug recovery homes at Odyssey House in Flint at the Salvation Army adult rehabilitation program and i'd invite my dad I was like come you
0: know yeah come
1: preach to these guys yeah and he did and that that was so helpful to my dad and then that opportunity got taken away from us um just because our stupid church <laughs> yeah. yeah but um yeah uh i just want people to read the article that's all so yeah, if you could link it, um, yes, I, uh, I'm sure uh, people can Google it. Just another overdose. How uh, my dad went from being a pastor to a, an opioid statistic. Yeah, just read read the article and share it. That's all, man. Yes, please. Just try to help please, as many people do. as I can.
0: Please, please do, Jason. He'd
1: be he'd be thrilled that I was on your show talking about I know, it. I I'm, I'm sure up in heaven, he's like, oh yeah, yeah he's talking <laughs> to my boy Jed.
0: <laughs> that's awesome, man. Jason, thanks. Uh, thank you very much for, for sharing this and for writing the article and I, I think um, I think it is going to be impactful for sure thank you well,
1: thanks for having me on